What is this? A center for ants? What? How can we be expected to teach children to learn how to read if they can't even fit inside the building? You're an interesting man, Scott Lang. You're an Avenger. You have a daughter. But you've lost a lot of time, like me. We can help each other with that. Yeah, I don't know how I would kill ants anymore. Oh, I would just stomp on them. Welcome! Wages of cinema. <laughs> yeah, the wages of ants. Uh, no, it's not really a wages for ants. It's the wages of us talking about movies. Um, ant well, movies. Yes, ant movies made by Marvel. And I'm back again. Uh, I'm Jack. And always with me is... Trash Panda Corey. And we're joined by... Now's your line! Oh. <laughs> Welcome, yes. Andrew. Hi, Andrew. Hey, how's it going? Yep, and, and we also have Matt. Hey, I'm here basically long enough that I shouldn't be really a guest star. It should be no! Like a guest not on this podcast if I'm not around. Yeah, you're you're like uh, you're like guest emeritus at this point. <laughs> well, we Trent, he's death star Matt, not guest star Matt anyway. That's true. Matt like destroys planets with his takes. Um, they're so peaceful. Or he could take another target, a military target. Um, actually, that, that kind of leads into our discussion, possibly. Um, we saw Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantum Mania, the third Ant-Man movie, and I I'm going to probably not get this right. I think it's the 31st or 30, 33rd, who knows how many of these movies are I think it's the 31st. There. Wow, I was actually pretty close. Yeah, there have been a whole lot of these movies. Um, I hope by the next Ant-Man movie that we can stop making jokes about Ant-Man being Ant-Man. Because <laughs> how, how so? Ant-Man, it was like, Ant-Man was kind of the butt of the joke. And he's like, can we change the name? And then, uh, you know, Ant-Man 2 comes around and still there's the skepticism about Ant-Man. And there is a little joke in here about Ant-Man being Ant-Man. But I think by this point, we've kind of established Ant-Man's efficacy and his spot in the Marvel Universe. Well, I feel like as soon as you saw in the trailer uh, um, Kang, you know, say, Ant-Man, and he said it with appropriate gravitas, I kind of thought like, well, we could stop making jokes now. Although I enjoyed at one point, somebody calls him Bugman, mm. and I... I'm, I don't know if, Matt, you're the only other person who would know this, that on the Ninja Turtles yes. cartoon, there's a character named Bugman. Yes, he's finally getting an action figure this year. Wow, him? Yeah. <laughs> All How right. about that? He is a Bugman. But yeah, I think by this point, if not, like, by this movie, it's like, yes, Ant-Man has really made himself out to be a viable character <coughs> in this thing. I mean, it helps being in, like, the most successful film of all time as well. Exactly. Um, but, but we're here to tell you, uh, about this movie, which is strangely not getting great reviews. It got like a B on that odd thing they call cinema score. And, uh, I'm here to say that I enjoyed this movie. Me too. I thought it was good. The quantum realm was cool. Kang is cool. 
The movie's entertaining. I liked it. A good time at the cinema. Good night, everybody. No. Uh, what do you guys think? I think it's a very solid film. I don't think it reaches, you know... Uh, you, I, you don't think it reaches when Marvel's at its best, but at the no, same but time, like, but at the same I, time, it's not them at their worst. I give it like a solid B. Like it's pretty good. Like it's been better than a bunch of very recent Marvel Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah. you I, know. Uh, sorry. No, I mean I enjoyed it a lot. Like I had heard you coming in that like you know it's just gonna be like you know like a stopgap until like the next big thing, and it's not gonna be like a full movie and so. But I found out, no, it actually is, tells a complete story. Of yeah. course, it is a tag at the end saying, yes, there is definitely more coming that, of course, you knew already if you had heard about any of the releases. But I still think that you get a full experience showing up to this movie. And there's a lot of experience that they pack in that will appeal to you. Yeah. Like, within what I always think about with the Marvel movies at this point is, can this work by itself as its own movie? And that's, you know, sometimes a thing that can work better than others. And even without spoiling too much, I think that even with knowing, like, okay, this this particular character, which without getting into spoilers, again, we are going to see more of this character, it still works within the context of the story that they want to tell. Let me ask you a question, then. What's a movie, in your opinion, that doesn't stand well on its own? Um... Like, in terms of Marvel, Marvel I mean. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, in more recent times, I mean, uh, Shang-Chi. Okay. And, uh... The one I have not seen. No, and also the one that we talked about last year, Love and Thunder. Hmm. See, I think Shang-Chi stands alone well. It's just bad. Um, yeah. I actually... You surprised me with your reaction to Doctor Strange. Because I personally thought that... You really missed something with Doctor Strange if you didn't watch WandaVision, the show. But you didn't feel that way. No. So, I was obviously wrong. I would have taken Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness as a movie that I liked a lot, but I don't think it, like, stood well as, like, an independent movie. Like, it I mean, really thing, needed to be put The thing into. for me was that it worked despite not seeing WandaVision. And, you know, if it worked for me, then, you know, fine. Yeah. And uh, you haven't seen the Loki series yet, either. I have not. No, so... But at the same time, that was actually one of the things I was curious about with this movie. I'm not going to say worried, but I was wondering, like, okay, are they going to have to reintroduce him after they introduced him on Loki? But they managed to have their cake and eat it, because if you watch the version of Kang on Loki... Uh, that's not really the same Loki you're getting here. And not the same Kang. No, and because it's also um, through the point of view of uh, Janet Van Dyne, you have, like, that part of it as well. I gotta say something. Okay. This is a thing that bugs me in a lot of films recently. So this ah, is not bugs you. So this is not <laughs> <a> fault. <laughs> I am very over the idea of not saying an antagonist's name. It is because a, yeah. there are so many times where it's like, did he send you or are you with him? Or what about this guy? And it's like, they're trying to get, they're trying not to say the name. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. All right. We know in this movie, the villain is Kang. Yeah. But even if you didn't know that, you would 
there are so many bits of dialogue in here. This is a dialogue problem. That it happens is. in a lot of movies where it's just like in order to keep from saying the name, they play the pronoun game. Yeah. And it's just very bad stilted writing. Unless you're talking It's not how yeah. people talk. Yeah, unless it's like Voldemort, which is literally like the one who shall not be named. Exactly. You know, and that's the yeah, it is odd that like none of the characters who are on this uh you know in this quantum realm who've been under the tyrannical oppression of Kang for God knows how many years, if they even count years down there. Yeah, that no one would just say, like, you know, you're, you're with Kang. Yes. And that's just, you could just say that. But then the problem is then the, you have to have the whole dialogue then of, wait, who's Kang? But, it's but you like, could deal with that. It's not even a spoiler because, you know, going into it, that Kang is the bad guy. Yeah. yeah. Like, like, you can't say the name because it'll ruin twist in the movie if you know who they're talking about. Kang's yeah, in the trailer. No Kang's yeah. on the poster. <laughs> yeah. Uh, even if you don't recognize Kang, it's just like, well, hearing the name Kang is not going to it, go crazy. It, it's almost, it's, not, it's like the part, in, you didn't see, did you see Star Trek Into Darkness? Yes. How, like, they build it up with uh, you know, Benedict Cumberbatch, and then eventually it's like halfway through the movie, and he's like, my name is camera pushing con yeah. it's like well, what does this mean <laughs> this only well, means a, but like, that's a thing where it's like so much hype of people talking about is, is it going to be con is it not going to be con and we're like it's not going to be con and it's like oh it's con but it's <laughs> but there wasn't that writing problem no yeah. one was dancing around con's name yeah it was all just like nobody said his name because no one knew who he was in yeah. that movie in yeah. this one, everybody knows who Kang is in this universe, but they keep tap dancing around his name. Bill Murray yeah. does it. Mm -hmm. The woman who's with the Resistance people knows it. Uh, uh, Janet Van Dyne keeps knows it and keeps tap dancing around it, as if saying his name is is, is like Voldemort, yeah. like you said. Yeah, it is. It is like, odd. Yeah, I didn't think of that, but well, I I, I knew that they were ha they were building up to his backstory and all that, but yeah, it that is a problem. It is. And it's just which, you which know. is a shame because once you have Jonathan Majors in the movie, he's you know terrific. Yes, he's great. Yeah, he's like a reason. He's probably one of the main reasons to see the movie. Yeah, they want to hold back the name Kang until one specific moment, but even then, the reaction they were looking for it, doesn't really materialize. Yeah, I mean because it, anybody who knows who Kang is knows that Kang is in this film, and if you don't know who Kang is. Hearing it's, his name is not going to do anything for you. Yeah, like if it's my a, if my mother goes to see this movie, like she's not going to be like Kang, Kang, you know, the guy from Ninja Turtles. <laughs> no, that's Krang. Yeah, exactly. My mom will be like, "Well, I, I thought it's the same one." It's like somebody in the studio said, "Like, okay, hold off on the Kang name until like the right moment." And then let it go. And it's like, but it didn't make a difference at all. It didn't. It's no. a, and they do the dumb thing where it's like trying not to say yeah. the name. I don't even, that bugged I'll, me. Yeah, and I don't even mind that like Janet Van Dyne doesn't want to talk about Kang at first. Because yeah. that, that makes sense in the context of the story that it left like a really deep wound. But Janet Van Dyne ends up doing a very unheroic thing. Yeah. Uh, and she doesn't want to talk about it. And so that makes sense. She regrets it. She doesn't want to talk about that experience yeah but uh but there's no reason for her to just be to not say kang right but this talk speaks to the larger quality of the film as a whole is that 
this nitpicky thing is what we're spending the bulk of the time talking about. And you have like a point. fundamental yes. problems with the picture. It's a really solid movie with yeah. just little itty bitty things well, that are questionable. Well, exactly. Yeah. Well, to go back to, like, I, I mentioned uh, Thor Love and Thunder. And we spent a lot of time when we were talking about that film about its tonal problem. How yeah. that and was about its story problem. Yeah, well, that was and that well more so for me when I think back about tone because that's a movie where they made like the dark you know villainous part really dark, and then a lot of the the comedy is very sticky and very like almost too far in that direction and. You know, it's like mixing, uh, you know, like peanut butter and motor oil. It just doesn't fit. <laughs> yeah, this does a much better job of balancing, like, comedy and more serious moments. Yeah, like, and it's not like it's reinventing the wheel with it, but it just feels more consistent with what we've seen from Marvel, where they have a character you ha you should take deadly seriously, like Kang, but it also has, like, it, you know, these... I wouldn't, I get, do you call them aliens? Oh. Uh, whatever they are, like in this quantum realm, they're like not they're humans. quantum people, they're, they're quantum aliens. They're micronauts. <laughs> You've been waiting to say that for a while, haven't you? <laughs> Bravo, Matt. Yeah, mic, they're micronauts who have like, you know, weird helmets and, you know, heads that are made of like, you know, like, light and you know it actually matt really quick i know like, there's been a number of comparisons to star wars but did you get at all vibe of like saga a little bit yeah i was thinking like this is kind of like saga light yeah, yeah it's, comic it's, book it's very star warsy because the quantum realm where they spend most of the movie gives you big like most icely cantina or like jabba's palace or did you, because I'm asking Matt this because I know you live that Ewok life, when they captured um, Ant-Man and his daughter and they were like gathered around them to make them drink the ooze, that gave me like when the Ewoks captured the people in Return of the Jedi? Yeah, it sounded like they were chanting Boo to Eve. And what? Boo, what is Boo that? to Eve, the, the pod race from episode one, had a, that's when they had the pod race, the big ceremony. Did it sound like uh, some guy who was in audio right now is listening to this and going like, "He got it." <laughs> <laughs> but we haven't. Yeah, well, I mean, we haven't really discussed what the premise of the movie is. I mean, if you've seen the trailer, you have some kind of idea. It's like Ant Man is a superhero who gets small and he gets big. <laughs> he can talk to ants as well. Yeah. That yeah. as well. Thanks to his mentor and other character here, Hank Pym. Who just loves ants. He does. Can we talk about Kurt Douglas for a second? <laughs> yes, he's dead. Oh, good. Now that that second's over, can we talk about Michael I Douglas? I am dead! Let's talk about Michael Douglas. Douglas for a second. Okay. Uh, I'm not, I don't think he's... I, I, I know why you confused him with him, because he now looks Because now they look exactly the same. Uh, <laughs> Michael Douglas. He's not necessarily bad in this film, but every time I see him... I wonder about his commitment to the entire bit. I well, because I well, all right, because Corey, I'm like you, you I, I, know that, I know I know Evangeline Lilly and Paul Rudd and, and and so many other people. They're all very committed and they're all doing their very best. They're carrying this movie. Michael Douglas is in this and he shows up in a few in shot after shot and I just keep wondering what's going through Michael Douglas's mind. See, it's funny at this point. It's funny. You what is he thinking right now? 
Is this a paycheck for him? Or is he doing the work? See, it's funny you said that, because after the movie, I told Jack, I love Michael Douglas in this, and you were, and you, meaning Jack, was like, this is such a paycheck thing for him. But no, I was totally into Michael Douglas's energy in this movie. I'm not going to say he sl- he sleepwalked through the movie, but no, he, I don't but say he that was either. kind of he has a kind of look on his face like, <laughs> yeah, I'm in another one of these. Yeah. <laughs> he doesn't seem like he's having a ton of fun, but he doesn't seem like he's phoning it in. He's got like, a different kind of energy to everybody else. He's, yeah. He's kind of jaded about it, but he's... Yeah. Like because you know, I feel like Hank Pym should should feel very excited about this, and Michael Douglas is delivering these lines about man, this place is the uh, the things and the whatever, and he, he doesn't seem to be he doesn't delivering have enough, that energy at he all. He doesn't have awe. Yeah, he doesn't have the awe that a character like Hank Pym, who has been studying Pym particles and no. the and the uh, and the quantum realm for all this time, he doesn't seem to be. He well, doesn't well, seem well, to be, Doing that character very well. No, he's no, he's doing him fine. I get why I get what you're saying, and I think also it doesn't help that he's opposite Michelle Pfeiffer, and she's like acting her ass off. Yeah, like yeah. she's giving a great performance in this movie. She and is I, committed, to and I feel like she's. It's great to see her in like this kind of movie, and she has like a really strong arc. When they say Ant-Man and the Wasp, they mean Scott Lang and Janet Van Dyne. Yeah. yeah, and it's really, like, for good chunks, it's really Janet Van Dyne's movie. You know, because she's the one who has, like, a lot of the inner conflict. Scott Lang is there, and he doesn't even, you know, know quite what's going on. But Janet Van Dyne does, Ooh. because she went down there before. I want to pitch you guys on a hypothetical I had. And I don't think this counts as a spoiler, because it's a hypothetical for... Something I kind of wish they had done in the movie, but just to be safe, we are officially in the spoiler zone. From now on, we we are in the spoiler it, zone. What, now you are getting shrunken down. You're still shrinking. You're still shrinking. Now you're looking up. Spoilers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wait. We need answers. What did you mean by save the world, Kang? In my time, I rule all. But a disruption in the space-time continuum destroyed my reality, wiping everything from existence. I traced the cause of the disruption to an anomaly in the time stream, something that should not have existed in the 21st century. Captain America. <laughs> okay, we're in the Sorry, spoiler. Andrew, you look very... Apology accepted. <laughs> okay, no. spoilers. We know that Kang and Janet Van Dyne spent some time together in the Quantum Zone. Uh, and they they fo- were boning. I <laughs> wish they had made that explicit that they were boning. Because I know they're, maybe they didn't want to do that because there's a big age gap between Jonathan Majors and Michelle Pfeiffer. But Michelle Pfeiffer is still hot as hell. Oh, yeah. Kang would tap that ass like six ways from Sunday. So I wish they had made it explicit that she was boning him, especially because the movie does make it clear that Janet Van Dyne was catching plenty of dick in the quantum realm. (laughs) Um, And I like that. And I like that she was like, I was here for 30 years. I had needs. But I wish they had made it explicit that it had been a romantic relationship between them, because it would have added even more spice to her disillusion. Sure, it would have given it would have given him more more incentive incentive to keep her around at the end. 
Like, because very, very much so, like, he kidnaps her and he shows her everything he's doing. He really wants to show her all this stuff and to get back at her. So if right. that betrayal was the betrayal of a romantic relationship as well, that would be... Well, like also, a, yeah, like, if they had been romantic and then she, like, had touched him and saw, like, his history of, like, genocidal madness. Wouldn't that have been cool? That would have been cool. Would have been cool. Yeah. yeah. I would have liked it. Now... There was another flaw, Corey. You were talking to me about you, like, and I. You, you should present it to the okay. guys. So I thought the beginning of the movie has this incredibly half baked, like, conflict sort of between Ant Man and his daughter, which is very stupid. Where his daughter is like giving him attitude for slacking off on the hero department after. He's the one who's, like, the catalyst for the time heist in Avengers Endgame. And she throws this very, like, generic, like, bratty teenage, like, you weren't there for me, daddy. And it's it's not a big part of the movie, but it was just so, like, half-assed and generic. I wish they hadn't had it in there at all. I didn't pick up on that so much about this kid not being there. I, I, I understand the sort of thing that... The way I understood it is... What what's his daughter's name again? Uh, Cassie. Cassie. Okay, Cassie thinks that he should be doing more. Uh, Scott is doing less. That's and it's just like, and it's just like you understand. It's like we as adults are willing to give him slack. It's like you helped save the world from Thanos. You've done a lot of stuff in your life. If you want to kick back a little and write your book and go to book readings, then absolutely, man. Well, well plus you've earned it. Well, but she is. Young, she's probably 16, 17, something like that. And she's just like, People are still in trouble, you're not doing anything, you're just doing your book thing. And it's like, That's what a young person would say. Yeah, and we're all jaded adults reaching middle age right now. We we look back on her, it's like, Yeah, you're being a brat, but it's like, Yeah, that seems normal. It's not like it's not an intensely personal problem between the two of them, but it's, it's them it's, coming it's, at it from different perspectives. Yeah, but it's a little hacky though, yeah, it's like meant to set up like. I'm still disappointed in you, Dad, because there's, like, there needs, I guess because in the movie there needs to be one person who thinks he's not doing enough. Yeah. But Even it, though but, he's, like, he, but it's yeah. it's not the major conflict that's resolved at the end. Like, there's no major moment where, like, no. that conflict builds and is and is resolved at the climax. Like, by, by the middle of the film, that conflict very, just falls by the wayside. No, and I think and, ultimately their relationship like becomes more about like let's get the hell out of here, and Cassie has to like rise to the occasion, and she does. Yeah, well, it just shows that like conflict was just kind of like a half baked time filler for the first half a, of the movie. It was a reason for her to start doing things on her own because she doesn't think that she doesn't think her dad is doing enough, so she's decided. Well, I'm going to take a crack at this quantum realm thing. So she and she gets together with uh, uh, with with Hank and with and with uh, not with Hope, and they decide to do this little thing, which is what gets them sucked into the quantum realm. It's basically a plot device to get them into the quantum realm. So and you know there are little things where it's like Scott's like we got to get out of here. She's like we got to help these people, but it's just like by the middle of the film, it's no longer about helping people versus getting out. Yeah. It's now, now the film has steered it in a different direction, and that's no longer a discussion anymore. 
No, no, that's Matt. What did you think? I mean, I thought it was fine. It's just like a little character detail, and then you have the rest of the movie that continues on. Well, I guess it's maybe it's just I think it's the context that like he, she's getting her out of jail and she's like criticizing him. Yeah. For not. Yeah. <laughs> no, it just I understand why they felt they needed to give him something because. I would say this is primarily, like, a plot-driven movie where it's not like Ant-Man has much of an arc at all. So I felt like they needed to give him something. But honestly, they didn't. There's enough good stuff going on in the movie. Yeah. Well, I don't think it detracts the movie either. It just, like, no. adds a little extra wrinkle where, like, she's, like, how Scott used to be and he's moved on and wants to kind of protect her. Mm. Not have her not make the same mistakes. I, yeah. I will say, though, I think that fits into what you're saying is right. Scott doesn't have this this personal arc to overcome by the end of the film. No. They have this thing, which is a placeholder, which is a catalyst for conflict, but that doesn't play out for the entire movie. Yeah. yeah but... uh, so so the film is missing some of those thematic elements that would have made it more powerful. Yeah. Yes, he is as becoming to a role as a more responsible caretaker. His, his investment in the story is looking out for his daughter, even though she doesn't yeah. have the same perspective as him. Over, over the last three films. Right. You can see that progression. Yeah. Where, yeah. you know, he starts off as a loser. He gradually works his way up to this, where, where he's at the beginning of the movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, though, well, I will say, like, I'm kind of on Scott's side when they get into the quantum realm. And she's like, we got to help these people. He makes a good point. It's like, you don't know who these people are. <laughs> like, we don't know about helping them. And then eventually it just works out that, like, she's able to help them because it also works into the like the conflict of the movie too, which is you know this Kang is the conqueror and treating all these people like shit. I will yeah. say that there's a scene in the the prologue <coughs> when they're showing how Hope has taken over the company is doing humanitarian stuff with pin particles. They make like affordable housing and like affordable like food and stuff like that. And he's like a good use of like you know how a sci-fi technology would affect. A world that's in that you can apply mm. to doing good stuff beyond zappy yeah. zappy stuff. This is mm-hmm. actually like a really useful thing. Yeah. But then later in the car, then Cassie said like, you know, these people lost their homes during the blip, and like no one can afford rent anymore. Even though like you no, know, they were saying how like you know Hope was working on affordable housing, and it's kind of like a weird disconnect. Huh. Like, how much is like that's what she's doing point. actually helping to change the world in which the movie exists? Like you know, it's like mm. a weird kind of thing where like say like, oh yes, we are using the sci-fi stuff. For things that people living in the world would say, hey, you could actually do like a lot of good with this technology, but then not really incorporating enough that you actually see a change where like, you know, it, the yeah. world of the movie would be significantly different than the world that you're living in. See, yeah. that's a really good point. That didn't bother me, though, because it's set in San Francisco, and San Francisco is literally the most unaffordable part of the United States. <laughs> we live in the second most unaffordable part of the United States. So we live in, like, the second highest cost of living place in the United States. The number one highest place is San Francisco. So I could yeah. buy, she could be building a lot of affordable housing in San Francisco, and them still having, like, huge problems with homeless yeah. encampments, because it's San Francisco. Right. Yeah. But anyway... Uh, yeah, that's, but again, I think, welcome back to our podcast. These prices are outrageous. <laughs> Everything must go. We're shrinking things down for you. The rent is too Sorry. damn high. All right. 
Yeah, it's us. Yeah. <laughs> Ultimately, but again, like I think what what Matt said is still holds true. We're, we're talking about these little things now. Like no the, pun intended. Yeah, and it's just like you know. <laughs> overall, it's just like did those things affect our enjoyment of the film? Yeah. I mean, we even we haven't even talked about like Kang. Well, no, well, well, Kang, but we can him, him, him. Yeah, who shall not be named? Oh, wait, we just named him. Lord but there's. Doc. Well, I was going to get to that. There's a whole other character in this movie that like was a surprise that I'm glad was kept so, which is yeah, this character named Modoc, which is you know a acronym as we're told. Um, actually, Matt, I wanted to ask you um, because what happens is like for those so for those who might remember in the first Ant Man, Corey Stoll was uh, the big bad of that movie. And at the end of that, like the how he was basically got rid of, he was shrunk down and went into the quantum realm. I had almost forgotten that part. I remembered him, but like not that part. But like they have a whole great like story about what happened to him, which was he was basically just a head yeah. and got like transformed by Kang into this like body and is now like an evil little shit. Um, a giant head on baby legs. And what's funny is just too that like everyone sees him as me like Darren? Was that his name? Yeah. Yeah, yeah Darren. And they're like I'm not Darren anymore. I'm Modoc. Now imagine the comics that was not quite the case. No. He's, he's, a, he's a separate character in the comics. The whole Modoc thing seems very superfluous. But they kind of made the most of it. Yeah, it, it was very it's funny. Like, it's like without it, the whole film works, but still with it, it's like, well, there are a few more jokes in there that are pretty good. And I think what was tricky about it and what I appreciated is that it a lot of the visual effects it's are... It's very grotesque. Yeah, it's like a lot of the visual effects in the movie are kind of the, you know, what you expect, kind of, you know, flashy, science fiction-y, you know, spectacle, fantastical realms and design and then you get him and his face is like cartoonishly stretched out and it's glorious see that's the part i was like disappointed really yeah i thought that was but i thought that was the joke was that i'm supposed to not look good yeah i guess it's the joke but i i was expecting like i kind of think that sort of like cheapens moda like just by like Guiding him with Darren, who no one cares about. <coughs> and so then also, the thing about Modoc is that he should like always look kind of like ghastly and contorted. And they do that with the mask that comes down. But I don't want a mask. I want his face to always look shriveled and gross and weird. So that, like, but like this a is just like a just... giant's head on an infant's body. Yeah. But, um, I don't, <laughs> what, this, what's that this... from? It's from where it's mightiest hero. Yeah. This felt like the Mordok body looked really good, but then they put the head and just like this, like, photoshopped Corey Stoll's head inside of it, and it felt like kind of, eh. I mean, uh, I yeah. thought it looked cool, but I had nothing to compare it to. Actually, again, I had seen a bunch of negative reviews of this movie before we saw it. And of course, one of the common complaints about the MCU generally is the poor quality of the CGI, a complaint I have had about multiple Marvel movies. I thought the CGI in the Quantum Realm was pretty good. I thought a lot of the people looked really cool. Yeah, yeah. except for yeah. Morlock's face. Yeah, <laughs> my, my only little complaint was that some of the, like, how the visuals were presented, it's like, were cool, but, the act, but there was something about some of the direction of the movie that I... 
was a little more basic when it had to just come down to characters talking or some uh, some of the action not in the climax because that looked a lot better but sometimes the action in the middle felt a little rushed and there were even like one it almost felt like one or two scenes might have even been missing like connecting like a moment where you suddenly see a character have like a confrontation it felt like wait didn't wasn't wasn't Jant Van Dyne and these characters should they have had one more scene before this I don't know. I don't know, but what were you about to say? I, I feel like, you, you know... Uh, it's not like... I, I don't need, like, visionary direction or some crap because, you know, sometimes that can get overblown, but... There, but it could be... But, like, you watch, like, James Gunn and, like, how he does, like, Guardians movies, and it, that felt like it has more of a epic sweep, and this doesn't quite have that. I feel like they could have done more with the middle because there is one exposition dump where janet finally explains Mm -hmm. how she met kang and Mm -hmm. what and and what he's after and you have to have that so that they can understand why kang needs scott Mm -hmm. but i feel like it's just kind of put there Mm-hmm. There's no real artful rearrangement of like of those scenes where it's just like mm-hmm. you learn who Kang is before he even meets Scott. Yeah, and you know that he's powerful, but you know there's not much tension. Like the, uh, you don't quite get get the sense that like because you already know what he wants. Yeah. So when Scott meets him for the first time, you know he's not. There's no tension because you know he's not going to kill him. No. You know you know he's not going to do anything to him. And you, I feel like there could have been a lot of re- rearranging of mm. those scenes where it's just like where Janet keeps holding back information mm. or we get information held back from us so that we don't understand who is this guy, what does he want, why is he trying to do this. But we all get it in one shot, so a lot of that is I mean, gone. I guess I could, I, I, I could see your point. I wasn't as bothered by that just because, you know... Because in those I'm watching in those scenes Michelle Pfeiffer and um, and, and Jonathan uh, Majors. Majors like I'm at, I I'm in it for them and that makes it compelling enough for me that I can I, I get what I absolutely understand that I think my complaints are more just in like within just individual touches before those that that dump okay. In other parts of the movie, I gotta say though, Kang is one of the better villains I've seen in yeah in, in Marvel movies oh, yeah. because oh, yeah. I wanted to see more of him because I wanted to know more about him. He's he he's it's like you you know what he's you get like a lot of what he's about, and yet you feel like there's still more to learn. It's truly like an intriguing character. Yeah, you know, and now, if you know things about Kang from other from other bits of Marvel media, then when you listen to him talk and when you listen to other people talk about him, you begin to slowly piece together why he's there and what he's looking for in, in, in the grand scheme of things. But you still want to see him to see what like what he's gonna do and you know and how he's gonna yeah. act. Like but, Jonathan Majors when you see him on screen, he looks like he's just about to cry every time. <laughs> That's an interesting way to put it. I don't know if I saw that exactly. I think I, he plays the character as just someone who's so confident 
but it's like almost to the point where he doesn't, you know, he's so calm. But he's not he's not suave confident. He's not, you know, well, he's so jovial. He's well, not but that's his character. He's seen like the timeline. He's he's confident but he's a pessimist. <laughs> yeah, he, he's it's it's really a weird blend where it's just like and part of it is too like part of the reason he looks like he's got he's going to cry is because he has these long scars down the front of his face. Which kind of looked like the tracks of tears, in my opinion. But he also wears that same expression of like, yes, he's confident, but also it's just like there's nothing for him to be happy about. He he expresses very little joy, even when he's getting what he what he wants. Yeah, well, yeah, it's like he even says at one point, like, I win. You know, he says I win in such a way where it's like it there's no joy in it. It's just what it is. And yet he's not. To me, he's a even he's a more interesting villain than like Thanos. Yes. To me, because Thanos is he's also kind of a megalomaniac, but it's he there's just something that I'm not getting about him when I'm seeing Thanos, even when he's at his most compelling, that I am somehow getting with Majors. Well, I, Thanos is a is a fanatic who believes in horrible things and will do anything to get them. Uh, Kang seems to be this fatalist who understands that the only way to avoid awful fates is to do more awful things. Right. Well, I think I like Thanos, but Thanos is a very he's driven by one singular drive and really expresses a pretty narrow range of emotions. Yeah. Or lack of emotions. And I thought it was kind of interesting that Thanos thought himself someone more like obligated to do these things than like desiring to do these things but no one else will do it so i will do it yeah but kang you're right it's every scene with him it's such a weird mix of emotions like the character expresses like he kind of mashes emotions together in a way that normal people don't like the way he expresses himself is very distinct because you're right in some ways he's very arrogant but in other ways, you're right, like, you could hear, like, the quavering of his voice when you mention, like, you think he's going to cry. And he's very soft-spoken, but also very, like, intimidating. He's, he's someone who's almost, like, haunted by his, like, the, you know, the by, by the things that he's seen. Even though it's, like, you know, he... He, he has no regret over it. No, he doesn't. That's, yeah, there's, like, such, like, a immense power to him. And it's not, but it's like, whereas with Thanos, the power was more like in his size and brute strength. It's like Majors, it's, you know, he's a big guy, but it's also like what's in him. Yeah. And you're so right that I watch Loki. So I've seen a different Kang on Loki. And then I've seen this Kang. And you always just want more Kang. Like you're always like, give me more Kang. I want to say like, was he a little more playful in the version of Loki? Yes. He was a lot more like, I felt like that was a difference. Almost like a sillier character. And he was a lot more loquacious too. And And yet, and the thing is it works in context too. I didn't mean to cut you off with that, but it also works again in this story. It's like, he's been, you know, he, he's the emperor of this. He's created this empire and it's like an empire of dirt. Like, he, he doesn't care about these people. He kind of hates them. But he's created this because it's almost like he felt like, I have no choice but to make an empire and be this person. Well, it's also, yeah. 
I don't know if that makes sense, like, but in, right. like how he twists it in his mind, maybe. If he's the conqueror, that's all he does. Yeah. Like, he just has to make new uh, empires. As, as you leaned over to me, Andrew, John Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> I like the character concept, meaning we're going to get a lot of different versions of Kang, because I think Jonathan Majors is really going to go to town with that. The, that you know man what? is going to work for years. You know what I just thought of, Corey? This is like... Remember that, like, moment in, uh, well, again, I know how you feel about this movie, but The Matrix Reloaded, when uh, Neo is in that, like, room with the architect, and he sees all the different versions of Neo. Yeah. It's like if you actually capitalized on that opportunity, (laughs) on that potential. Exactly. Um, I like the the scene with the multiverse engine. Remember? Yeah. That was a really good sequence. Yes, it was. What, you mean the climax? No, before the climax, oh, when Scott okay. is there. Oh, oh, yes, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's that's one of the more the, impressive scenes of the movie. When he's in the probability storm, yeah, and he meets, yeah. he meets literally hundreds of potential variants of himself. Which is funny, then, that, like, only one variant is the Baskin-Robbins version. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was fun. I in really my mind... That's like somebody kidnaps Scott Lang after he had decided to become like a good Baskin Robbins employee because someone figured out that in an alternate universe he's a great thief. <laughs> and so it's like now they have this guy. He's yeah. like, well, you're the best chance I got, so in you go. Yeah. Visually, that sequence also, it made me think about um, the climax of the animated movie Ants. With a Z? I haven't seen that. Nobody ever seen that movie? I haven't seen it. You were the only one who saw it. Wow. The rest of us saw A Bug's Life. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't even see that. Me neither. Yeah. Even though I like the caterpillar Heinrich, he's cute. Yeah. Well, I saw both the time. I mean, you know, it was like... Because that that came out actually right before Bug's Life. And, like... uh, The point is, like, that. there's a whole scene where the ants all come together to, like go and, like, make, a, like, a ladder of themselves to reach, like, the ceiling. Right. I loved the bit, too, about some ants travel through the quantum, like, travel to the quantum realm with, you know, Hank and the gang, and the ants get stuck in a time dilation, which means the ants live thousands of years in the space <laughs> of a day and become super-evolved geniuses. Yeah! Yeah, that was like that was one of the best uh, story parts of the movie. It like, came a little out of left field. But it it was, came out left field, but you needed it because otherwise Hank Pym has like nothing to do yeah. in the movie. Yeah, but that's the thing. They added it so late, and there was very little buildup. They had they and, paid lip service to. The I mean, buildup. you saw the ants going with them into the realm. Though. Yeah, but I mean, you need more than that. I don't. Think I was so. fine with that because in the trailers, I was worried that there wouldn't be any ants in it because there were like no ants in the quantum realm. But then I was like, but he's Ant Man. They need ants in the movie. So, but then so they hold found on. Way to sneak in when the- Matt goes to see a movie. <laughs> He's got his little checkbox right here. <laughs> and so when it's finished, it's like, there's only one question on it. Were there or were there not ants? And so every other film, he checks off no. And it's like, did this film have ants? No. And But this one, he was able to check yes. Yes, there were indeed ants in this film. So it gets his stamp of approval. <laughs> it's like when we saw... Is that what's happening here? That's what happened, Andrew. You nailed it. 
It's like when we saw Black Panther. Are there Panthers in this movie? No, are they black? No, not. no. False advertising. <laughs> exactly. But, um, yeah, I guess I could see that. Yeah, they kind of came late in the movie, but I will forgive it because it's funny. Yeah. I'll sometimes forget, forgive a lot if I'll a movie... I'll forgive the thing because it's funny. Yeah, that, yeah, that too. And in a way, actually, Modoc has more of an arc than Ant Man does. In a way, yes. <laughs> that was funny too when he was dying and he was like, at least I'm an Avenger. And everyone was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I also love too, like, because he's basically given this mission in the climax kill Cassie. And so he's the, like, his whole task in the climax is to chase after her. Then finally, she, like, hands, you know, his ass to him. And he's kind of laying there in a lump, and Cassie just tells him, like, don't be a dick. And he's like, but it's too late. No, it's never too late to stop being a dick. <laughs> yeah, and that's, Which, by like, the way, is a brilliant line. It is a very good line, yeah. A real-life lesson for all you listeners out there. Yeah. But, you know, did anybody catch, there were a couple lines in the movie that I wonder if they were there to be, like, almost self-consciously knowing, like, we're this far into the MCU. It's like, like what? there was some line at one point where it's like, it never ends. No. No, I thought I caught that at one point. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I just. It's just because it's time travel, so you know, Kang's going to say stuff like that. That's true, yeah. Um, He's going to say a lot of time. Yes. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, like, yeah, with this movie, it's, oh, you know, we're, we're picking out some stuff in the story, but it's ultimately, you know, it's a spate. Even though it's not space, it's a space adventure movie. You know, it has yeah, a decent adventure plot. Um, Some of the scenes look like Dune on acid. A, well, Dune on good. acid, but like I said, it could have so even Dune gone... Dune should be. Yeah. <laughs> so you're saying this was more like Dune than what you saw in Dune? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I found the new Dune film was kind of visually boring. Ah. Uh. Well, I was impressed, but the color palette is very muted. Yeah. Yeah. I get that, too. This is. But um, I was... This is more Farscape-ish. So I was like pleasantly it. surprised by how the various, like, creatures of the quantum realm look. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, it's like they have, like... Well, there's that one character who's very, like, a squishy blob. I and you can see his inside organs. He got holes. Yeah. <laughs> he became a Kirby. <laughs> yeah, he had a journey. And, like, I like the guy with broccoli... Yes! The guy who The broccoli who has, like, all these eyes? Yeah, he reminded me of a, of a Dabari. Which doesn't is. make any difference to you, but is a, a Marvel alien whose their, their whole solar system got destroyed by the Dark Phoenix. And okay. they also show up in the Dark Phoenix movie that was terrible. And they don't oh, look no. like broccoli, so it sucks. No. <laughs> yeah, but that was like, if I ha wanted to own one toy or one doll, like, I'd want to have a broccoli. <laughs> <laughs> I would be interested to know what the logic was for the designs of the quantum people. Because some of them were just well, humans. Some of them were just like humanoids with weird heads. Some of them were completely different. Well, this is where now, Matt, you now is a good time to ask you. In the comics, have they dealt a lot with the quantum realm and were characters designed they all like this? Kind of. See, in the comics, the quantum realm is called the microverse, which is where the micronauts do their adventures, but because the Micronauts 
were adapted from a um, Hasbro a toy line. The Marvel Studios Whoa. doesn't have the license to use them in the movies, even though they've oh, tried. Man. So they couldn't use any of the pre-existing Micronauts. Even the Micronauts that were invented just for the comic don't have a toy counterpart. So these are all like a bunch of new characters they made up that kind of serve an equivalent purpose Good. without replicating any of the pre-existing Micronauts characters. Right. So they're legally distinct. Correct. Right. And then, well, and then now, I guess what they they could also do what they've sometimes done and just do like comic book versions from the movie, right? And they don't have to worry about like the Hasbro version and yeah. You know. Yes, <laughs> I thought the goal was just like in Star Wars to make lots of very different looking types of I was going to say people, but they're not really people. Just so the audience would be like, that looks cool. Yeah. Or, or even like that one guy, um, and I've seen that actor, and I wish I remembered his name. The guy who can like immediately read like Scott's William Jackson book. Harper from The Good Place. Yes. Oh right. Yes, he's not playing Reed Richards, but you know that might I, be a good thing. Uh, I didn't know that supposed, was an option. Was he supposed to play Reed? That Richards? That was a theory that people were thinking about. I yeah. mean, I guess he still could because there's a multiverse out there, but I've, he's a different character here. I've read somewhere that Adam Driver ask, might play Reed Richards. Yeah. I'm not sure how I feel about that. I, just I don't think they feel Reed Richards badly at all. about it. <laughs> they should just not have Reed Richards exult at all except for like a flashback scene of Dr. Doom killing him. <laughs> <laughs> See, that would be interesting. The Fantastic Four with only three characters. You would have seen him in Midsommar because you didn't watch The Good Place. But okay, that guy. But okay. you should watch The Good Place because it's great. It's amazing. I, I know, I know. Also, one, maybe the most perfect series finale I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah. Alright. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, it, so, this movie is, it's a lot of fun. I'm trying to think what else I want to say about it, but it was just, it's, you know, it's an, and it keeps you entertained. It's not, you know, the top tier, like, in a way, like, we were, Corey and I were also talking on our way home, like, you know, because the last movie was Black, you know, Wakanda Forever, which was a more ambitious movie than this, but I think that, you know, had some really top, you know, high moments, but also had a lot that dragged. This has a little bit that drags in the middle, but it really kind of comes together, I think, in the last, like, 20 minutes. Yeah, I was saying when we were comparing them, I think the highs of Wakanda Forever are better than anything in the Ant-Man movie. Like, Wakanda Forever at its best is, like, really good. But Wakanda Forever is a very ambitious movie that does a lot of stuff right, fumbles some stuff. This is a movie, I think, with much more modest goals, but it hits the target. Like, it sets a kind of lower bar, and it hits Which it. is kind of like the other Ant-Man movies, too. Yeah, I think people have been underrating the Ant-Man movies. That they're actually I mean, yeah. should be regarded much better than they are. I mean, are. I'll say, like, the second movie, like, didn't have, like, a great villain. Uh, but, like, but at the time, in, and maybe even t we even talked about this in, when we did our review, it was nice to have that movie after Infinity War, and it's just like, ah, uh, low stakes. Yes. You know, this isn't low stakes, but they still pull it off pretty well. Also, I have to praise Ant-Man for something, and this is going to be a weird comparison. We don't have, like, Scott Lang's buddies from the prior movies. You know, like Michael Pena and sure. the other guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. 
But this, he does voice the Veb in this. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay, cool. This movie does a better job of handling the we don't have the buddies around anymore than Magic Mike's Last Dance, <laughs> which is... That's not a movie I expected you to bring up, but yeah. Which I think... You like the movie better than I did. I do not like Magic Mike's Last Dance. I do not recommend it. It's not a good movie. And one of the big problems is all of Magic Mike's buddies from the first two movies are gone. And the movie, it just... It's a buddy fail, and then it becomes a movie fail. This well, movie did a good job of like still being good even without the buddies. Well, you well, because they were them. able because they had more characters from a different part of Scotland's life. They have his daughter. They have his. They have Janet. Yeah, and so yeah, those really people get... take center stage. Yeah, and they are able to fill that role of people who are not Scott Lang, yeah. and they have a reason to be there. Yeah, while the other guys have no reason to be yeah. in this movie. And like, yeah, and as I said earlier, like as much as it's you know you should see this for Jonathan Majors, you know, again, I don't think we got enough Michelle Pfeiffer in that second movie. I mean, no. we did, but like this is like more her movie, and it's like I think Michelle Pfeiffer There's knew a reason that. Why she's in this movie? Yeah, no, she, there's a reason she's there, and she really goes for it. Yeah. So that's, uh, it's nice to have her, because she's, she's, she's great. Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. All so, right. final thoughts, guys? All right, my final thoughts. I'm going to talk a little bit about Black Panther like we did before. Okay. Okay, so, again, we're like 30 films deep into the Marvel Universe. <laughs> we're pucks in deep. <laughs> like and I want to talk Bucky. about quality. Because this is a good film. It's a fun film. It's entertaining. You won't regret seeing Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. The thing is that while this is a solid story, we're still missing solid themes and solid character building, which we've touched on with mm -hmm. Scott. Scott doesn't, essentially doesn't have an arc. Uh, there's a lot of... There's, there are a few things that could be tightened up. His, his, his whole character is, that's weird. Yeah. That's <laughs> as, as the movie's bookended. But again, we're 30 films deep into this whole franchise. Not franchise, this whole universe. Yeah. And by this time, it feels like the film should be getting a little deeper, a little stronger. We can't have an endgame every film. No. But we should, but the film still should work on, you know, just being better written and being, you know, just a little bit deeper with a little more emotional resonance. Yeah. Rather than just being popcorn. Yeah. And this is better than popcorn, a popcorn film, but it can be better than this. Like, mm. I, I think there's another film in here that could have ha been better quality. This is not as good as Wakanda Forever. Mm. That was a film that dealt with interesting themes and with characters who had very who were very well developed. And so Wakanda Forever is going to be one of the best Marvel films. And we've gone a step down to Ant-Man. Not very far, mm. but still it's a step down. Mm. And Marvel at this time, you know, it's really struggled in this interim period. Like the films have been spottier. Black Widow is rather mediocre. Thor Love and Thunder was very mediocre. Uh, Eternals kind of got there. Spider-Man was great. Multiverse of Madness, pretty good. Uh, and then, you know, Wakanda Forever, really up there. And so... It's a little bit of a seesaw for you. Yeah, I, this, is, this isn't so much about Ant-Man Quantumania as, as it is about the Marvel franchise in, in general. Yeah. 
which is like they they make so much money and they put so much effort into this. Why can't they strengthen all of these things that have always been problems? Hmm. I think yeah. we know these films are a success. They make a ton of money, even if they're negatively reviewed. Why can't you tighten up all that little stuff? Yeah, I guess for me, ultimately, yeah, it is... I, I, it's a hard there, We don't have to have an answer here. No. But this is the question I have. All right. Yeah, I think I know we're there, there's, a, there's another better Ant-Man Quantumania out there. And and I wish we could get more films that were wet, that aspired to that level of like Wakanda Forever, not always the same tone, but it's just like you can reach a little higher and you can do a little better. Okay, all right. Yeah. Oh yeah, I don't know. I was just pleasantly surprised by this because I knew that I would like the Ant Man movies, so that I like don't look down on them. I think that Scott Lang is a really good protagonist, and mm-hmm. that they used the, the scale of changes creatively, and you know, taking it a B-list character and, like, you know, elevate him to a leading man and they use his strengths well. But I was worried that this, he would get lost in that because they're bringing Kang in and Kang is, like, a much higher level villain. And I just want to see, like, you know, Scott do, like, Scott-level things like fight Whirlwind, who we've never gotten to see <laughs> before. And then I'm still mad about that. But then when you actually see the movie and it's a good adventure romp and it's got good spectacles and good visuals... And I ended up liking all the characters in it. There's nobody who is like really like a drag, and it flows well. Even Modok is not a drag. Yeah, and like everything kind of works. And like you know, Andrew said, like, well, why can't we have everything be as good as Black Panther? And I was like, it's kind of like like really like a I don't know like a not like a a sustainable question. Is like of course there's always gonna be some little things that you can't quantifiably say like we can make. Every movie an A plus movie. It's like you know, there's always gonna be like some shortfalls in the making of things that like not everything can be great. And so instead of saying, "Oh man, like this is like an A minus movie. Why couldn't it have been an A plus movie?" I think you should really be saying is like, "Hey, thirty films in, and you're still making an A minus movie out of like you know maybe a C level character." To be you fair, should be like clapping and saying like, "Yes, Marvel, you're doing consistently fair, good work." I would give this movie a B plus. Okay. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. But I mean, like, still, like, the thing is that... It could like, have been an A minus, Matt. It could have, but, <laughs> yes. But this, that, that this thing is that we're getting pretty consistently great quality out of something that mm-hmm. in other hands would have, the well would have gone dry yeah. by now. But they're yeah. still finding ways to make it entertaining yeah. for both newbies and people who are fans of the source material. And I think that's like pretty damn great that we're all saying, hey, the third Ant-Man movie out of all the Marvel movies, really fun time. Like, yeah. we should be like, uh, hells yeah, Peyton Reed, go good. Yeah. 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 So I would say, yeah, go see this movie. Have a have a fun time. Oh, I don't I don't disagree yeah. with that. Go see the movie. Yeah. Yeah. All right, Jack, your final. Well, uh, similar to you guys, yeah, it's not gonna. You're not gonna. They're not gonna hit it out of the park all the time. And matter of fact, I think the I, I loathe to use the phrase the phase, but that's what they use. Phase five. This is the start of phase five. Phase four, I think, was a little spottier. In terms of its record, this is starting off pretty strong. Um, and again, I think ultimately, like Ryan Coogler is just a, a stronger, more like, you know, has a stronger mind as a director maybe than Peyton Reed. But again, Peyton Reed is looking at this like, look, I have this whole universe that I'm creating with the quantum realm. 
I'm going to have fun with it. And ultimately, you know, even if I think, again, it's nice to have a movie where your antagonist is just so compelling because that has been, you know, a very hit or miss thing with Marvel movies. So to have Kang come in so strong here and you want to see much more of him, that's that almost that's almost enough to recommend it. Right. Yeah, I would say I like that the Marvel Universe offers you lots of different flavors in terms of like how serious or how lighthearted will this be? How heavy will it be or how light will it be? I like that you can get cause a movie that I do think Ant-Man, Quantumania is like, it's a bit of a shallow movie, but it's really fun and it's really creative and they put everything that they like plant in the movie pays off in the movie yeah the and you know i like that it's just it's very fun to watch and i think that quantum mania it's like a well-oiled machine in a good way yeah like it just well-oiled machine is not a pejorative term well i think you (laughs) could use it to to say that a movie is like soulless like I think when talking about art specifically, you're thinking like by the numbers. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. But it just works, and I liked it, and yeah, I recommend people watch it. And I was a little surprised by the reception for it because you know we are all like Eternals defenders as well. Even mm-hmm. though I like the Eternals, I understand why people don't. Like oh, yeah. I really get why people wouldn't like that movie. But this movie, honestly, if you're kind of into the whole Marvel thing, I really don't understand why you wouldn't like this movie. Unless you just don't like Marvel movies, period. Which is fine. I get the fatigue part of it, you know, and I'll, I'll close saying that. Like, I'll, I'll, I get the fatigue because we do get, you know, this is like the eighth movie in like two years or something like that. I might be off on that number, but like, it is a lot of movies and it, it, you, you almost wonder like, okay, are you making, is it becoming less special if you have so much movies and for those who have disney plus so many shows but if they're you know but if they're entertaining that's good i kind of like entertaining <laughs> is good i kind of like too that because yes. the quantum realm was like visiting another planet basically it gives you a little bit of like a guardians of the galaxy vibe too yeah even though the guardians of the galaxy movies are better but this movie's fun it's good yeah, yeah. i recommend it so We're done, and let's give our (laughs) conclusions. Yeah. Wages of Cinema, Gmail, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Matt, where can you be found? MattTheCatania.wordpress.com and associated social media links thereof. But just go to the blog, because that's the main thing. Yeah, and also he's on Instagram now as well. You should follow him there. Uh, And, you know, you should definitely check out Matt's blog, because there will be probably lots of lore and links to Micronauts and, uh, like... There's nothing about Minecraft in the Ant-Man world, is there? Uh, I don't think so. Okay, good. Because that was the other thing that just popped in my head. That's a whole other IP. All right. So, until next time, guys. Uh, next time we might have something different for you than Marvel. Uh, you know, we'll see. Uh, we probably should. The Guardians isn't for another few months. But until then, I'm Jack. I'm Trash Panda Corey. I'm Andrew. And I'm Matt the Conqueror. And remember, everyone, the wages of cinema is... Hugs. Hugs. Broccoli. (laughs) Good night, everybody. You thought you could win. 
I don't have to win. We both just have to lose. I'm sorry, Cassie. 